0: Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killet. Today, we're going to try something new on this podcast. I'm here in the studio with my colleague Dina Weiss, who is hosting a new mini series for Tashma called The Tish with Dina Weiss A Taste of Hasidut. Each episode will feature bite sized insights from Hasidic thought on spirituality, ethics, and character development. These episodes are short, but they are packed with big ideas. So, Dina, let's set the table. Hi, Avi. It's so nice to be here with you. Pleasure is all mine. First of all, let's start really big picture. Um, we're going to go broad here at the beginning. Tell us, what is Hasidut?
1: What I'd like to say, you know, on the most basic level is that Hasidut is an opportunity for people to connect to God in a more straightforward way.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the people who are studying Hasidut are are seekers.
1: I would say yes. I would say that that is cer- certainly there are people who just find, you know, the sophistication and the wordplay to be interesting. But the people who really end up sticking with Hasidut and really love it are the people who find that it provides for them a new way of looking at their relationships. Hasidut started as a kind of spiritual movement in Eastern Europe in the tail end of the 18th century, with its famous founder, the Baal Shem Tov. And Hasidut was really a reaction in some ways to two different trends in Jewish life and Jewish thought at the time. One was a really serious focus on Talmud. Studying Talmud was the most important way um, to get close to God. And being a Talmud scholar was the apex, the greatest thing you could achieve as a Jew. And that left a lot of people out, right? Not everybody's going to have the time, the inclination, or the intellectual interest to be a Talmud scholar. Also, not everybody has the finances, right, to marry the daughter of somebody rich and be able to have the time to study Talmud. And also, it's a reaction to um, the Musar movement that started a couple centuries earlier, but had this lasting impact of the way to improve oneself is to be really hard on oneself and to be very scrutinizing of oneself. And I think that what Hasidu does is it takes that understanding that you want to look at yourself and you do want to evaluate yourself, but also to do it with a little bit more kindness and maybe a little bit more joy
0: So in this podcast series, you're going to be introducing us to five different Hasidic thinkers through the texts that they have left behind. Um, So I'm curious to hear from you, what's the relationship between this movement and this spiritual seeking phenomenon that you just described for us and the sort of concreteness of texts when we say we're studying a Hasidic thinker or a Hasidic text? um, What's the connection there? What makes something a Hasidic text?
1: So I think it's helpful to think about the role of text in Jewish life in general. You know, every culture has their way of showing love, and every culture has their way of expressing themselves. And for the Jews, it's the words, and it's the play with the Torah. And one of the ways that I think about Hasidut is that the same way that a midrash is getting a little bit more out of the text of the Torah, what's there and what isn't there, Hasidut is doing that with the Torah itself, but also later rabbinic traditions, looking at what's missing and being able to find something that isn't there from what is there.
0: Beautiful. So place us in time. These Hasidic texts range from when to when, roughly.
1: You know, the Hasidic spirit is still alive and people are still writing texts that are in this style, but I decided to focus on really early works that I consider to be foundational works. Um, And you'll see, because Hasidic texts are part of a tradition, right, the ideas that come up in these earlier works will repeat themselves later, but it's sort of nice to get in on the ground floor and see when they percolate for the first time.
0: Nice. I love that. So I want to ask a little bit more about the podcast itself. Um, you titled the podcast The Tish with Dina Weiss, the Dina Weiss part we got. Explain to us what is what is a tish and why invoke that image with relation to this podcast? So a tish
1: is a table. It's just Yiddish for the word table. Um, but the term tish usually applies to an event. And it's a moment when the Hasidic Rebbe invites his community in, And has them sit at his table, often will eat literally from his food. And it provides an opportunity for there to be an intimate interface between the teacher and the student that is not in a classroom, right? That's in a home, that's at a table. And when I was thinking about who I wanted to be in the audience of this podcast, the answer to that question was everybody, right? Anyone who's willing to come, I want them to feel like this is speaking to me and I understand it. And so I thought that the model of the Tish really represented that idea of trying to open up the doors, open up the home, and have people come inside.
0: Beautiful. So let's say it directly: you, the listener who have us in your ears right now, we are uh, we're so excited to welcome you to this table, to this Tish. And um, we hope you'll you'll pull up a chair, or you know you're going for a run, whatever you're doing right now. That you you will feel a little bit like you are you're at this Tish. You're getting to partake from this learning. Um and 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 tell me a little bit about the word taste, right? This is a taste of chassidut. Um that that word I think gives us a sense of what we should be expecting from this podcast series. So maybe tell us about that choice and what we should expect to hear.
1: For me, taste is both this kind of objective thing that you can analyze. You know, you could send this food to the lab and they will tell you what the chemical makeup is, what are all the molecules that are making you taste what you taste. But we know that taste is actually an inherently subjective experience. What I taste, what I like is not going to be the same as what you like. And I want the language of taste to be an invitation to you to really evaluate these ideas on your own, roll them around your tongue, roll them in your mind, and sort of make your own taste, make your own meaning out of them. And also, you know, to be perfectly transparent, I think it's a reflection of the way that I chose these texts, which were according to my taste, I didn't select famous passages or passages that I felt really reflected this thinker's orientation. I chose passages that struck me as being particularly interesting or particularly beautiful, ideally both. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think it's just fair to say this is from my mouth to your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, that this is my taste and this is my take on these texts, but also I'm really excited for you to have your own experience of them. And just to add, right, also taste is a reflection of how short these episodes are. They're not a meal. They're a taste. Uh, You could come to a Ashir. We are very excited for you to come to our full classes at Hadar, but this is a mode of, we're just going to get in there, expose ourselves to the central idea, and then say goodbye.
0: Yeah. You know what I really appreciate about that is that That's how we learn, I think. You know, we don't fall in love with a new genre of text, usually by starting at the beginning and reading our way through or by reading a best of or highlights of um, the way that we that's how we learn comprehensively, maybe academically. But the way that we really fall in love with a genre is that we pick up a, a, a morsel and we taste it and we say, wow, that's that's really something special. And I want a little bit more of that give me more of where that came from um, so i think our our hope with this series is that listeners will have that experience that you'll hear something that sparks something inside of you and will leave you wanting more and then you will you'll have some idea of some directions you could go some teachers you could seek out in order to learn more to learn more hasidut <laughs> hearing you talk about which text struck you. And I actually want to take a step back and ask, how did you come to this project? What drove you to seek out Hasidic texts as a learning project? How did you get started on this?
1: Uh, It's a great question because the truth of it is that it happened to me by accident. I was in Shai. I was in a post-high school seminary where most of what we did was study Talmud. Which was great. I love Talmud. Anybody who knows me knows, you know, Gemara is my jam. I'm very happy to do it for as many hours of the day um, as I have. And one Friday, I was looking for my Gemara, could not find it, and I needed it, right? Could not go into Shabbat without knowing where it was. So I started to scour the entire Beit Midrash to look for this book. And I looked high and low on shelves that I never looked at before. And then in the back bottom corner, actually not too far from where I ended up finding my Talmud, <laughs> there were books that I had never seen before. I grew up in a modern Orthodox context where Hasidic thought was just not part of the conversation. It just was not, they were not quoted. They were not taught. It wasn't considered to be you know, forbidden or threatening. It just was not part of the picture. And I saw these books, titles that I'd never seen before, and I just flipped open one book randomly to one page. And I still remember what was written there. And I just thought to myself, none of the texts that I read speak this way. Mm -hmm. None of the teachers that I have speak this way, but I like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to learn how to speak this way. Um, And it just started to open
0: up possibilities for me. That is an amazing story. And I I hope that the listeners to this podcast can have that sort of metaphorical version of that experience of what it means to hear about a, the title of a book you may have never heard before um, and or to to hear some of the inside, the random page that we're flipping to. Um, that's really a beautiful story. And it's a great it's a great lesson also for all of us to spend time in Batami Drash, to spend time in in study houses, in libraries, and take the time to browse through books because that's, there's magic inside those books sometimes. Right. Don't be afraid to stumble onto something new. Tell us a little bit more about what we will actually expect from this podcast. I understand there will be different chapters, different sections where you're going to focus on different thinkers. Tell us just the headline of who these thinkers are, and I promise, listeners, we will get into this more deeply in, in future episodes, but just give us the headline.
1: Okay, great. So Avi, I'm going to give you the list. And for those of you who are, you know, very precise at home, we're going in order of publication date of the work, not in order of the life of the person who taught it. So here is the list. We're going to be doing the Maor E'naiim, the Kedushat Levi, the Degel Ephraim, the Maor Vashemesh, and the Ohev Yisrael. And you will be given a nice taste of five episodes each on every
0: one of these thinkers. I can't wait. It's so exciting. Um, I, I want to ask this because I I will say for myself, these are all names that I have, books that I have never myself really sat down and studied, um, but they are all books that I have heard quoted before. Um, so I just want to start by asking you if somebody hears something here or if they really fall in love with a particular book that you just mentioned, where could they go to find more from that teacher? Where could they go to learn that text?
1: So good news that all of these texts can be found on Sepharia. Unfortunately, none of them are fully translated. There are some translations available of much of the Moray Naim and of the Kedushat Levi and of the Mor Vashemesh. So your first step is Sepharia, Thank you to Safaria for making so much Jewish mm-hmm. wisdom free, available free shout to out. so many people. <laughs> That's right. And then, you know, your next step is your Amazon, your local Jewish bookseller. There are some, at least some passages of many of these texts available in English as well.
0: Great. I want to end with this question, which is, um, why do people study Hasidic texts when somebody is looking to study and they could reach for... Torah, they could reach for Midrash, they could reach for Gemara, for Talmud. What what makes a person reach for Hasidic thought?
1: I think that's a great question. In part, it goes back to the element of taste that we spoke about earlier. I don't think that everybody comes to Talmud for the same reason. They don't all love it for the same reason. And I think that that's also true about Hasidut. So I will speak a little bit personally and hope that that resonates um, for different people. For me, it's uh, freeing of myself from having to think about everything through an intellectual and almost competitive lens. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, you have to understand this correctly and a lot of, you have to do this right in much of rabbinic literature and even in the Torah itself. And I find that sometimes to be appropriately challenging and also sometimes it feels alienating to me, right? Maybe I don't wanna always be asking, what is the right way to do this? Instead, I want to be asking, what is the best way to do this? And for me, Hasidic thought really opens up a slightly different tenor to the way that I'm thinking about my relationship to God and my relationship to the Torah and my relationship to other people. Amazing.
0: Thank you. I hope that all of you listeners get a chance to experience a little bit of that that feeling. Let this A wash over you, let these episodes sink in, see how they taste, and Dina, I can't wait to to listen. Thank you. This episode was produced by Sam Greenberg, Effie Unterman, and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to David Chabinski for recording and editing this episode. Music for the Tish is from Hanna Raskin's debut album Raza Capella, produced by Rising Song Records. <laughs>